afterthought. And I'm happy with that. <laughs> but this book is about Israel. This book is about the Jews. And for the most part, even when it comes to the Jews in Israel, they're not the main character. Who's the main character? Jesus. And referred to by God and Lord and so forth. God the Father isn't even one of the main uh, people, characters in the Bible. Why? Jesus explains it. It's because the Father is glorified through the Son. The Father doesn't have to have His name, His title, Father, splashed everywhere because if you glorify Jesus, you're glorifying the Father. Unless you're denying that He is God and you're belittling and blaspheming Him like the cults and say He's a created being or some sort of thing like that. But if you are glorifying Jesus as He is presented in the Bible, God the Father is glorified in that. And so Jesus is the main character and point of the story, but who did He say Himself He came to save? The lost house of Israel. Now, lost sheep of Israel, I should say. Yeah. And they weren't lost to God. God knew where they were. They were lost because they were far from God. They needed saved. And then you and I as Gentiles, Romans 11 explains it all, we were grafted in. Good information to go study. And what we should be humble enough to realize what we deserve is to be in hell. So the fact that God has grafted in those who would believe among the Gentiles, praise the Lord. <laughs> I'm good with that. Book don't have to be about me. You know, most Christians, when they read the Bible, they think it's about them. Uh, I just thought a good parody would be that song uh, to singing to professing Christians. You're so vain. I bet you think this book is about you. You're so vain. <laughs> But this is transition reality as we've been presenting in the book of Acts. Transition is taking place from Israel the nation, Mosaic law, to Jesus the Messiah rejected by his own with only a remnant of Jews actually believing on him. And he then ends up with a Gentile bride pictured in type in the life of Isaac, the servant, the Holy Spirit, goes out and gets the bride for Rebecca, gets Rebecca to be the bride of Isaac. That's what that whole thing pictures. That's us. But I want to say this before we move on. It's not missionary or evangelistic policy for this dispensation. There are actually missions who believe that they have to go to Jews first before witnessing to Gentiles. That was the book of Acts transition policy. But once Acts was closed, that's why we keep seeing Paul say what? What was our, two weeks ago, our message, we go unto the Gentiles. And so that's why that happened. But it's, it's a matter of history. That passage we just read, that's history. It's not SOP. It's not standard operating procedure. Now, I'll tell you this. Uh, you, if I were to go into a town and start preaching the gospel, I, I'm not saying there's anything wrong if you see like... We, when we started BBF, it was shortly after that, we went down to Bexley and took gospel tracts geared toward Jewish unbelievers because nine out of ten people in Bexley are Jewish. At least it seems that way. I don't know the official count. I know it's majority Jewish. I know almost every door I went to was a professing Jew. 
It was hard to witness to them, though, because they never read the Bible. You try to talk to them about the Bible and Jesus fulfilling Messianic prophecies and everything, and most of them are like, never read it. Serious. Go to a Jewish area and try it sometime. You'll see what I'm talking about. We are not obligated to look for Jews before preaching the gospel to Gentiles, the bottom line. Preach to them all and let God sort them out. Amen? Amen. So back to our text, and you're thinking, boy, at this pace, we're going to be here for three hours. I'll pick it up a little bit, though. It says, They went into that synagogue and so spake that a great multitude, both of Jews, of the Jews and also of the Greeks, believed. So praise the Lord, a lot of people got saved. Amen? Amen. Wonderful, but there's more. <laughs> the mass majority of Jews will persist in rejecting Jesus as Messiah and in persecuting His church. Book of Acts? Yes. 2,000 years since. Going on 2,000 years. That's been the reality. But let me let you know on something. You heard people say that, and a lot of times they'll even use it as a slam against the Jews, like the Jews of this wicked race and worse than any other race on the planet. I got news for you. What makes it bad is because Jesus was their Messiah, but the same thing happens among the Gentiles. It's only a small remnant who believes in Jesus among the Gentiles. It's only a small remnant of people here in Worthington who believed on Jesus. And it's mostly Gentiles here in this city. And that's true of almost every city, that, every city I know of on the planet. So what happens? They face opposition. Beginning verse 2. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. You ever notice that? You preach the gospel to a lot of people and they don't only reject the gospel. Somehow something clicks and they have these eyes like if they could wring your neck, they would. You notice that? That's something. That's it. That's what it says happened here. The unbelieving Jews, they start up trouble and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. This will sound like a broken record to the end of the book of Acts, but Paul also said this in 1 Thessalonians 2. Turn over there in your Bible. 1 Thessalonians 2. And verse 13 is a very good memory verse, and it's a verse we've referred to often. 1 Thessalonians 2.13. I'll read that while you're turning there. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which ye heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. That's a wonderful verse that tells us that if you're talking to somebody about the gospel and they reject that message as coming from God, they think it's just man-made, that kind of thing, uh, you're casting pearls before swine. That's what that verse is saying. We won't go rehash that. We've taught that on a number of occasions. But look what it says as we talk about believing the gospel. Verse 14, read that with me. For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus, for ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews. So you see there, it's not just the Jews. Of your own countrymen, it's talking about the Gentiles. Like in Thessalonica, Gentiles. But, it says, as they have of the Jews. Now read the description of the Jews in verse 15. Read that who hath both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us and they please not God and are contrary to all men. You'll hear a lot of debates about it. Oh, the Jews didn't kill Jesus. 
Yeah, they did. But so did you. <laughs> and so did I. Why? Well, the Jews rejected the Messiah and they would crucify him. And they got the cooperation of Pontius Pilate and the Romans who did the physical act of killing. But he went on that cross because of your sin and mine. That's what put him on the cross. So don't deny that the Jews killed Jesus. You're denying God's word if you do. It says right there, who both killed the Lord Jesus. Talk about the Jews. And their own prophets. I mean, they stoned to death and killed numerous uh, prophets. We read that throughout the Old Testament. Um, but then verse 16. Go ahead and read that with me. Forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved to fill up their sins always. For the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Do you realize Israel as a nation right now has tried to pass laws making it illegal for anyone to preach the gospel in their country? So that means we should hate the Jews and go... No, that's not what that means. That means that the Bible's true. We still support Israel's right to exist. We protest their persecution. We pray for their salvation. And we let God deal with them. Amen? And so that's what Paul is describing. It happened then. It's happening now. But the apostles didn't easily give in to such persecution. Uh, look at verse 3. Long time therefore abode they speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of His grace, and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So for a good while, they stayed there in Iconium, and people kept getting saved. And the apostles, look what it says, spoke, is speaking boldly. What do most Christians today do? Well, I'm afraid someone might get angry or offended, so I'm not going to say anything. I'll just live it. And I'm going to live it, and I'll be so wonderful, people are going to just drop being saved. That's what they must believe. I mean, how crazy that is. I've never met that Christian who could live it to the point where people got saved just because of the way you live it. Now, it's true, you can live for the Lord and someone may see the peace that you have and see that you're happy in Jesus and, that, and they may approach you, but you better start preaching the gospel or they'll still split hell wide open. You are not their Lord and Savior. The fact they're impressed with the way you live isn't going to save their soul. How are, you, how are they going to be saved? Well, I've had, you know, I'm not boasting, hopefully everybody in here has had these moments if you've been saved very long, if you've worked with people, had friends or whatever, and they come up and say, you know, I've noticed a change in you since you got saved. Or I had somebody come and say, you know, you have such peace going through things that I've gone through that I didn't have that kind of peace. How do you have such peace? I'm glad you asked. Talk about open the door there. How do you have such peace? Well, because I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, I know that He died, paid for my sins, was buried and rose again. He's alive today. I believe the Holy Spirit came into me when I became a Christian, so I have Him with me every moment of the day. And He promised He will never leave me nor forsake me. You say in your own words, but you describe how... Because some people don't really give a good description. They'll give an answer, but it's not real biblical, and they leave out the gospel. Listen, whatever it is you have in Jesus and somebody wants it, you better start with the gospel because that's the only reason you got it. You got peace. How'd you get peace? Through the gospel. You got joy. How'd you get joy? Through the gospel. You got love. 
How'd you get that? Oh, it just comes natural. I was born that way. <laughs> now, kids can be really loving from birth, but about 12 to 14, somewhere in there, just don't tell the other kids I said that. But, you know. but some of us, we were like two. We were talking earlier. At two, you could see that I didn't just have love. I had some other things in there too. <laughs> so this situation continued producing a stark division. And that is in verse 4. But before we get there, I just want to say this. Christians are not unifiers. If you see yourself as a Christian, your purpose is to bring everybody together, everybody get along. You, you have been reading the book wrong. That's not how it's done. That's not how Jesus did it. That's not how the apostles did it. What do we do? Christian unity is based upon common submission to the gospel and word of God. Now, somebody will say, well, they claim to be a Christian, so I, 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 have a, you know, I try to get along with them. If they claim to be a Christian, but they support abortion, you're not supposed to get along with them. How do I say that? Because I'll guarantee you, if you take a strong position clearly against abortion, they will shun you. And whatever the matter is, whatever the case is, if you are taking a strong position, and I don't mean strong by the way, like you walk in and bust into a place and start yelling at everybody. I mean you just stand where you stand and any time they ask, any time it comes up, you take a stand. You speak the truth. You won't have to do anything. They will shun you. That's what brings the division. Not you being a jerk or you being nasty about it or you, you, know, you being the one to even declare that you don't want anything to do with them anymore. The division just comes by you standing on the truth, standing for what's right. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it'll be subtle. You'll start seeing them just coming around less often, calling less often, inviting you over less often, or something like that. One year you don't get the Christmas card or the birthday card or happy anniversary card or whatever they send to you every year. And then things just start to drift and start to drift. I guarantee you what's behind it. When it comes to those things, we know. Um, so verse 4, what did they do? Well, verse 4 says, But the multitude of the city was divided, and part held with the Jews and part with the apostles. Now today, that means the ministerial association would get together and try to have an ecumenical service where everybody comes together and holds hands and sings Kumbaya. No matter what anybody believes, no matter what anything you, you know, stand on, you can be for gay marriage and for abortion and for this and that, but we'll just get along and we want to show the world the unity in Jesus. That's not unity. That's a farce. Unity is in the truth. We're unified. I mean, on these issues, I'm sure I disagree with a lot of you on your taste in coffee. <laughs> I've seen how some of you drink your coffee. Or I should say your milk with a little coffee in it or whatever, you know. I, we have differences. Some of you, not everybody here is a Buckeyes fan, I'm sure. What? Some of them don't care. Uh, but those are not the things we're talking about. Our unity, though, in Christ. Our unity in this book being our authority. Our unity in that Jesus is the only Savior of the world. We don't debate whether it's okay to be a Buddhist or a Hindu or an agnostic and still go to heaven. Only Jesus can save. Only by faith in the gospel. Not by works. Only by His works. Not our own. 
He did all the work to save us. Amen? Amen. See, that's the kind of thing we're talking about. We have unity. You don't have to agree on every little thing, but those are the core things that we do agree on. And in this case, the Jews would go into the Gentiles and pick and cause division and start trouble. Sadly, that does happen in some churches. Some gatherings of people come in, they start nitpicking trying to, and try to cause division. But what these guys would go in and say, hey, hey, I don't believe Jesus is really the Messiah. These guys, I don't believe what they're saying about all that. You know, we, we've, our ancestors, our heritage is with the Mosaic Law. And, you know, that kind of thing. That's the same thing you run into all the time in so-called churches. And the people in the pews are faithful to that local church, but they're not faithful to the Word, not faithful to the Lord. And so if you have a church with people like that in it, but you have other real Bible believers, that's not unity. Just because you can sit together in a church service isn't unity. So today, the part that is holding with the apostles, meaning those of us who hold to the Holy Bible, King James Version in English, continues to shrink in proportion and percentage. And that's just a matter of fact. We live in those times, folks. We are in the end times. Don't get discouraged when you see the number and percentage of Christians in any particular area or your own area where you live dwindling. Because we're living in the day when the Bible said there'd be a great falling away. Amen. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts, shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Key word there. Lusts. Sex. Sodom. Woke. It's all sexual. It's all based on an unbiblical view of sexuality. Paul predicted it by the words of the Holy Spirit given to him. God-given words of Paul predicted the whole thing. And when the majority has the power to do so, they get violent against Christians. It's happened in, throughout human history. When the majority, which is rarely ever Christian, when they get the power to do so, I've told you, these people around here, the only reason they don't shoot you or lock you up is because they don't have the power to do, to, do so yet. But with the hate speech and hate crime laws and all that kind of thing, they're building the case to get you behind bars. That's what we're seeing here. Persecution. So the question is, how shall we respond to this persecution when it hits us? Verses 5 through 7, that's what happens. Look there in verse 5 and 6. Read that with me. And when there was an assault made both of the Gentiles and also of the Jews with their rulers to use them despitefully and to stone them, they were aware of it and fled unto Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and unto the region that lieth round about. I don't know if you thought about this, but you know, stoning is like, uh, it's similar to being shot. The only difference is because the... Uh, bullet is about the size of the palm of your hand it's not traveling at fast enough speed it doesn't enter but it causes a concussion and other uh, contusions <laughs> and causes bleeding and uh, it's bleeding that kills you from a from being stoned well that's what kills you with a gunshot you know that when you get shot by a gun what kills you is bleeding and uh, that's why they make bullets to cause more damage to, to the arteries and veins to cause more bleeding in time of war. That's what you want. But for self-defense, that's what you want. 
Stoning causes the same thing, but it's, it causes some, there is some bleeding visual, but a lot of it's internal bleeding taking place when you get stoned. Just think of that. You think it's stoning, it's not like stone age. <laughs> it's just, a, it's a similar to what happens when you get shot. And that's what they were wanting to do to these Christians. They wanted to stone them. How many of you had talked to somebody about the Lord and seen it in their eyes? They'd love to just take you out and stone you. It's the same spirit behind that as behind what we're reading here. Now, as a rule, we only submit to persecution. We, don't, we do not volunteer. <laughs> Unless absolutely necessary. Um, if, if they come to your house because you're a Christian... And you say, you know, we have uh, charges that you've done this or that and hate speech. They're doing that over in, especially in England and Canada. Going and arresting people just for speaking the biblical truth of the gospel. There's a video I don't have, didn't have time to show, so I didn't. But a video of a guy in England last week who was arrested because he was preaching that Jesus is the only way to heaven. That offended the Muslims that are now taking over England. So he was arrested. And what did he do? He submitted to the arrest and is fighting it in court. And that's what we see the apostles doing. He didn't volunteer, but under the circumstances, that's what happened. So he went and is in jail. And Jesus gave this warning to the apostles. Look at Matthew chapter 10. Matthew 10, 16 to 22. Very, we, Matthew 10, 16 should be familiar to you. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And then the context gets lost sometimes. But verse 17, But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues. He's talking specifically right now, in his presence are the apostles. Verse 18, And ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. He says in verse 19, But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what ye shall speak, for it shall be given you in this, that same hour what ye shall speak. That's not, you, this isn't to you. You are supposed to study, hide his word in your heart, and prepare for these times. Jesus is talking to people who didn't even have a Bible. The Old Testament was only available in the synagogues in huge scrolls, and the New Testament hadn't been written yet. Christians today use this, believe it or not, as an excuse not to study and memorize the Bible. Oh, when the time comes, I'm sure the Lord will give me something to say. That's not, he's not talking to you. At, the application is to the apostles, but I do believe in a dual application. I believe the same thing is going to happen with those 144,000 Jews and the tribulation saints. I believe it will happen then. And we'll see in a second. What's it say? Verse 20. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. Now read 21 and 22 with me. And the brother shall deliver up the brother to death, and the father the child, and the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. So, what's going to happen? Well, that happened to the apostles. It's going to happen during the tribulation period. And uh, 
whenever he says, uh, and ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. We're getting a taste of that, but it's going to be much worse during the tribulation period. The principle remains for us today. But the direct application, as I said, is dual. This is spoken to the apostles and will apply to the tribulation saints as well. Amen. They will be arrested and then taken into prison. They're going to be turned in by their own family and loved ones. But look at what else Jesus says. And here's a hint. It's exactly what the apostles did. Look at verse 23. Read that with me. But when they persecute you in this city, flee ye into another. For verily I say unto you, ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. So that's exactly what the apostles did. And it is obvious that the primary application of this text is to the uh, apostles directly, but in the future to the tribulation and the second coming. Because he says, but when they persecute you in this city, flee into another. For verily I say unto you, ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man becomes. So that's the second coming. But don't miss what he said there at first. Flee ye <laughs> into another city. Now, no matter where they went, whether they, as I say, stayed or goed, <laughs> what does it say they did? Go back to our text in Acts. And there they preached the gospel. That is verse 7. And there they preached the gospel. So, that's the apostolic principle that is in effect until Jesus returns. If you can just, I mean you stand, but if you see they're about to try to arrest you or kill you, then it's, it's a biblical thing to just leave that area. There's nothing wrong with that. But there might be times where you're standing there and there's no escape. So just keep standing. That guy in England, before he realized, he was surrounded by cops. And so he had nowhere to go. So he stood his ground and was arrested. He had done the same thing, and when he saw cops coming, he just like... And wait for the cops to leave, and then he went back and started preaching again. Wise as serpents and harmless as doves. See how that works? And that's how we have to operate, and it's going to become even more important for you to get this message. As we go further and further toward the end times, toward the time of the rapture, you have to operate with wisdom and follow the apostolic principle. And with that, we'll close in 2 Timothy chapter 4. I want to close with this reading. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. And while you turn down, I'm just going to tell you, there's been a couple of times in the past where people have contacted me and said, you know, you were teaching on this, and I, hadn't, I just didn't think I would ever have to use this in my lifetime. And then you never believe what happened. And they had to use this principle we're talking about right now. It's coming, if it hasn't already. Read with me verses 1 through 8. Read the even with me. I'll start with verse 4. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, 
But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. And then it goes on to say, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course as Paul. I have kept the faith. Read verse 8 with me. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Uh, there's a case, I've heard people make the case this is about, this is a message to preachers because it says preach the word. Do you realize that every Christian is to be a preacher? Amen. You're supposed to preach the gospel to every creature. Amen. But you're supposed to preach the truth of God's word regardless anytime any subject comes up. When you tell somebody, well, the Bible says you just became a preacher. Amen. And you should do it in season or out of season, whether it's popular or not. You simply Amen. take your stand on the truth of God's word. And the promise in verse 8 is one I hope you let sink in. There is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Not your righteousness. His righteousness. A gift he gives to those who will believe on him to be saved. And that's what it's all about. I hope that's what you're living for. If that's not the main purpose of your life, you're wasting your life. You will regret the waste of your life at the end of life. Yep. When the end of life comes, if you have not spent your life to please the Lord Jesus Christ and to love Him, worship Him. And I think the old statements of faith said to enjoy Him. <laughs> That's the good life. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank You, Lord, for this time in Your book. Thank you for the Holy Spirit helping us to understand. And we thank you for helping us in this life, Lord, that seems to go on and on and on as we wait for you to return and take us out of here. Help us to be patient, even as we are longing to be in your presence. And as the song said, to turn our eyes upon Jesus, to look full in his wonderful face look forward to that day and ask for your help in the meantime to live lives pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen.